Like uh, Sean said, my name is Jordan Arsenault, and I'm one of the pastors here at the South Suburban Vineyard Church. My wife and I are the children's pastors in the back. Um, I'm so excited to be speaking to you this morning, and I want to welcome anyone who's visiting for the very first time. Welcome. Also, we have our teenagers and our middle school students here um, in the audience today, and I want you guys to really lean in because what I'm going to talk about relates to you as it, as it relates to smartphones and technology, and I also want to welcome those who are listening to us through our website and through our iTunes podcast. You're more than welcome to visit us here in Flossmoor, Illinois, if you're in the neighborhood. Uh, so if you know me, if you're friends with me, uh, you know that I am a frequent contributor on Facebook, um, probably to my detriment, ho- hopefully to my benefit, but I'm on Facebook a lot. Um, and it's a way for me to keep up with friends and family. Um, I follow a lot of news sites that I, you know, from trusted sources. I follow faith leaders in the vineyard movement and just on the, in Christianity at large. And it's also a way for me to gauge public opinion on videos I produce because I work in television. I just kind of want to know what people think. And uh, so I'm very active. I'm very active on Facebook. What you may not know about me, though, is I'm also on Twitter. Yeah. I am also on Twitter. And the truth is, I don't really post that often. You know, I mostly, you know, like other people's tweets, and I retweet stuff that I agree with. And I use it a little differently than Facebook. On Facebook, I have friends and family who have a wide variety of opinions, some of which I don't agree with, but I, stay, I use it to stay in contact with people because it's, it's almost like an online scrapbook you know, of memories and pictures and, and stuff like that. But on Twitter, I, u- I use it a little differently. I uh, really only folks, I follow folks whom I can find common ground with, and uh, I don't really have that many followers. I have just this very minimal following, but I'm on Twitter just because I, I just want to see what's, what's going on. Um, there is one follower that I just gained recently that I'm particularly proud of, and his name is Rich Nathan. Impressed, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, for, for those of you who don't know, Rich Nathan is the pastor of the Columbus Vineyard in central Ohio, and it's the largest vineyard church in the USA. Um, he's been pastoring for over 30 years, and he's, I would say he's likely the most prominent public voice in the vineyard movement today. Um, his sermons are legendary to myself and our founding pastor, Gino, and I would say David Jacob, um, because he just knows how to preach in a very powerful way that's informative and entertaining, but also super convicting. And uh, I honestly don't know why he followed me. Um, <laughs> Like I said, I, I mostly retweet other people's stuff, and I, I'll, I'll tweet some of my work in television, but um, I only listen to his sermons on podcasts. I don't know him personally. Our, our founding pastor, Gino, knows him very well, but I've never met the guy. Um, but the fact that he followed me, you know, it meant so much to me because he's someone who I deeply respect, respect and he's got this great influence in the Christian community on a national scale. But I got to be honest, after I got that notification, the first thing I did was go to my Twitter profile. (laughs) Was there anything objectionable? (laughs) Did I post something that would make Rich look really bad for following? 
What petty response did I tweet back at someone that will come back to haunt me? You know, thankfully, I didn't see anything, at least in the last few years, um, uh, that anyone would find objectionable. And the reason is it's because lately I've been really intentional and careful about what I post on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram. Um, in fact, my twin brother and I have developed a distinct social media ethic and practice to ensure that we're putting our best face forward online. Together, we developed this 30-point scriptural guideline on how we relate to others through technology, and we even developed this st a statement. I call it a brand identity statement um, that we post before we post anything um, so that we can remain as above reproach as possible. And I've got to be honest, it's certainly not something that I've perfected yet, and I've got a long way to go with God's help. Even this week, I liked things that I had to go back and unlike. <laughs> and I posted things that I later on regretted and I had to delete. We're at the, almost the end of this summer sermon series that we're calling How to Win at Relationships. And what's implied in the title of the series is that anything that you can win at, you can also lose at. Um, if it's successful and healthy, thriving interpersonal relationships are the bullseye that we're aiming for, then if we're being honest with ourselves, we can often miss the mark. Uh, we had the, we've had the same slogan at the South Suburban Vineyard Church since we planted almost 10 years ago, 10 years ago in November. And it's simply this, love God, love people. It's on our shirts, it's on our website, um, you kind of see it everywhere. And we recognize that Holy Spirit-fueled consideration for the Lord and for others is the defining characteristic for believers in Jesus, or at least it should be. And so we take the time to talk about relationships because they really matter. Relationships matter. You know, we've covered a wide breadth of subjects in this series. We've covered marriage, and we've covered friendships, we've covered singleness, we've talked about how we can agree well. Today we're going to focus on the most common and frequent way we relate to each other in the 21st century, in 2019, and it's social media. It's social media. According to Facebook's official investor relation disclosure, 1.5 billion people log on to Facebook every day. 300 million photos are uploaded every day to individual profiles and public pages. In February, Twitter disclosed its daily users at 126 million, and Snapchat boasts 186 million users. Social media has become a big part of our daily routines and interactions, so as believers, it's important to understand its benefits as well as its pitfalls if we strive to live in a way that honors the Lord and honors people. Amen? Now, I know in a room this size that not everyone is on social media. I talked to my mom when she came in today, and she was like, I, no, I'm not on social media. Perhaps you believe it's a waste of time. You're right. Um, perhaps you don't own a device to interact with. Or perhaps you once used social media, but for the sake of your sanity, you have, have left. Uh, whatever the case may be, you have a lot in common with biblical figures because they weren't on social media either. Still, there's a lot that we can apply about wise use of communication in our daily lives because you still have your own social networks, right? But they're just through friends and family or coworkers or even this church. Whether you interact with people over the phone 
or on the web, this talk will be helpful to anyone who wants to get better at relating to others, at least with our words. You know, it was a blessing to find out that a prominent pastor like Rich Nathan was following me on Twitter, but the question I probably should have been asking myself is, would Jesus follow me? And the question that I want to ask you this morning is, would Jesus follow you? Would Jesus follow you? You know, much of our preaching on Sunday mornings revolve around whether we're following Jesus in a way that a disciple should. But if Jesus were on Twitter or Facebook or Instagram, would he follow you back? Would Jesus retweet the last thing you posted about? Would Jesus react with a heart to the latest photo you've uploaded? Or would he quickly unsubscribe from your page? There are two caveats that I want to say before I really get into today's talk. The first is that this sermon should not give you license to try to fix other people's social media activity, but to only fix your own. You know, often we can get in the habit of, at best, being grammar Nazis, or at worst, uh, being tone policemen um, to the folks that we interact with online. Uh, If you're close friends or accountability partners with someone, then they've likely invited you to critique them. But for most people, it's often better to make allowances for others' faults, to budget for off-putting language, and to overlook wrongs that you may encounter, especially if they don't identify as believers. Today's talk should motivate you to change your own speech patterns, but withhold your judgment towards others unless they've personally invited you to hold them accountable. At the same time, the second caveat I want to say is that this sermon should not give you an excuse to remain aloof to apparent injustice or to enable things like racism or bigotry simply to avoid conflict and play it safe. Proverbs 31, 8 and 9 says this, Speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves. Ensure justice for those being crushed. Yes, speak up for the poor and helpless, and see that they get justice. We should certainly be careful and thoughtful about what we post online, but we shouldn't be so cautious that it prevents us from speaking the truth when a forceful rebuke is appropriate. Don't hold back when you read discriminatory behavior on your feed from fellow believers in Jesus because they often need to be publicly corrected so others aren't deceived into thinking that it's okay to speak like that if you're a Christian. This doesn't mean that you should intentionally be roaming around social media searching for those who you might correct. But when you do encounter bigoted, evil speech, I would advise you to listen to the Holy Spirit's leaning and respond in a way that honors the Lord and honors people. Amen? Amen. These are some of the questions I want you to consider as you listen today. Is it possible my social media activity would make it harder for someone to come to Christ? Does my Facebook wall look like an invitation, or does it look like a barrier? Does the demeanor of my life describe a moral, political view over and above a wonderful, grace-filled appeal to life in Christ? Am I reflecting what Jesus called the church to be, salt and light? Does my kingdom citizenship mean more in my writings than anything else. You know, as we consider these questions, we're going to be looking at a passage of Scripture from 2 Timothy chapter 2. And feel free to follow along using your Bible app on your mobile device or tablet. 
Um, we'll also have the um, scriptures on the screens in front of you. And we also have analog Bibles on the edges of each row, if you prefer paper. Um, we're going to start in verse 15. But before we do that, let me invite the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Come, Holy Spirit. Father, I thank you that this is an uh, important topic in, in 2019, Father. And I thank you, Father, that uh, unless the Lord builds the house, we labor in vain who build it. So I pray, Lord, that your spirit would be here, would rest on folks, Father. I pray that you would open their ears, open their minds, Father. I pray that you would move me and my presentation flaws out of the way, Lord, so that your truth, the truth of your word, would just shine right through. And uh, we need your help. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So before we start, let's get a little background on this passage we're going to read today. This is a selection from a pastoral letter from the Apostle Paul to Timothy. And Timothy was a young, second-generation Christian pastor at the church in Ephesus, which is in Turkey. And this letter would be Paul's last letter. This would be his swan song, because we don't have any more of his writings. He would soon be killed. And so he's giving one of his closest companions, Timothy, some final encouragement and instructions to be bold and faithful and obedient and blameless before his time on earth kind of runs out. In the beginning of chapter 2, Paul tells Timothy to be a good soldier for Jesus. And in this part we're about to read, he focuses on how Timothy can make the best use of his time in his ministry. So we're going to start in verse 15. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15. Work hard so you can present yourself to God and receive his approval. Be a good worker, one who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly explains the word of truth. Avoid worthless, foolish talk that only leads to more godless behavior. This kind of talk spreads like cancer, as in the case of Hymenaeus and Philetus. They have left the path of truth, claiming that the resurrection of the dead has already occurred. In this way, they have turned pe- some people away from the faith. But God's truth stands firm like a foundation stone with this inscription, The Lord knows those who are his, and all who belong to the Lord must turn away from evil. In a wealthy home, some utensils are made of gold and silver, and some are made of wood and clay. The expensive utensils are used for special occasions, and the cheap ones are used for everyday use. If you keep yourself pure, you will be special te- a special utensil for honorable use. Your life will be clean, and you will be ready for the master to use for every good work. Run from anything that stimulates youthful lusts. Instead, pursue righteous living, faithfulness, love, and peace. Enjoy the companionship of those who call on the Lord with pure hearts. Again, I say, don't get involved in foolish, ignorant arguments that only start fights. A servant of the Lord must not quarrel, must be kind to everyone, be able to teach, and be patient with difficult people. Amen. Now, reading over this passage, I can already see that the wheels are starting to turn about how this can apply to our own lives as it relates to the way we use social media. And there are several points that I want to pull out of this passage as we go along. And the first one I see is that only God's likes matter. Only God's likes matter. Rereading verse 15. Work hard so you can present yourself to God and receive 
his approval. Be a good worker, one who does not need to be ashamed, and who correctly explains the word of truth. You know, so much of our social media activity is about sharing our lives with our friends and family. It's an online scrapbook for myself and for my wife. In the past, we may have used physical photo albums, like actual photo albums that you would print. You, know, you would you know, take your photos to the, the print shop or the Walgreens. You'd get them printed out, and then you stick them in a photo album. And then people would come over and look at them. Um, uh, and people would remember the slideshow days. The slideshow days, people would actually put, put them in slides and play them for people. Um, photo albums are really hard to mail around the country. Um, but we have these free services like Instagram and Facebook that are great because people in faraway places can kind of see what's going on in our neck of the woods. You know, one unfortunate side effect, though, of this access is oversharing. Uh, not only do we share benign stuff, I do this, not only do we share benign stuff like what we ate for breakfast, but we often share our political opinions and why the political opinions of others are dead wrong. We share our fashion choices and we degrade the fashion choices of other people. Uh, we share our favorite businesses and we also share the poor customer service that we received at our not so favorite businesses. We share our frank and honest musings about famous people. But we also gossip. We gossip a lot about people close to us in, in sometimes funny ways, but often angry ways. And after that, we're rewarded with the approval of, or disapproval of friends or family or followers with reactions, thumbs up, likes, hearts, wow faces, sad faces, laughing faces, angry faces. We continually check to see if others have seen and reacted to what we've posted minute by minute. And there's this addictive quality to receiving positive reactions and supportive comments, and we feed off the responses. And we, when we get something that's, that's really getting a lot of engagement. Uh, and where this can take an even worse turn is when those reactions mean more to us than the way we believe that God would react to the same things we share online. So Paul, Paul says to Timothy, and we can assume that this applies to us as well, that we need to work hard to present ourselves. But to present ourselves to whom? To our friends? Uh, to our followers? To our coworkers? You know, Paul says that we need to present ourselves to God and receive his approval. And if our work is good, then we have nothing to be ashamed of. He echoes this thinking in this famous passage from Romans 12. And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind that he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. And I would say that we should take from this passage that we should give the Lord our social media avatars as well as our bodies because of what he has done for us. God's opinion of how we represent ourselves in the physical world, and we can assume in the virtual world, matters more than anyone else's opinion of us. If you're a Christian, your job is to be an ambassador for Christ. Your job is to represent him to the world. Our job is to imitate God in everything we do, among other things. So some good questions to ask yourself before you post anything would be, would the Lord like this? It's a good question. 
does Jesus get any glory from my conspiratorial rant about things going on in the news? Does God approve of the way I've personally insulted another person in a contentious thread? Jesus is described as the truth, the way, the truth, and the life. Am I being entirely truthful about what I just wrote? What we post may garner many positive reactions from others, but what really counts, what really counts is our best understanding of what pleases God, based on the scriptures. And if it doesn't pass muster, we probably shouldn't post it. Something we can take from this message from Paul to Timothy is that shallow, immature stuff is probably something we should avoid on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Going next to verse 16, he says, Avoid worthless, foolish talk that only leads to more godless behavior. He gives an example. This kind of talk spreads like cancer, as in the case of Hymenaeus and Philetus. They have left the path of truth, claiming that the resurrection of the dead has already occurred. In this way, they have turned some people away from the faith. The second point that I want to pull out of this passage is this advice to avoid worthless talk. Avoid it. Worthless, foolish talk that only leads to more godless behavior. This perfectly describes the state of Twitter on most days. On Twitter, we have about 280 characters to work with, and what we write often isn't valuable, it's not wise, and it only leads to more cheap, foolish communication. In the case of these two people that Paul mentions here, Hymenaeus and Philetus, their worthless talk was based on these ill-conceived theories about the resurrection, and it led many people away from Jesus. You know, I wonder how many of us think about the collateral damage we're causing by sharing or retweeting baseless conspiracies, rumors, and hoaxes. You know, as a trained journalist and someone who works in broadcasting, I don't think there's anything wrong with questioning official, the official story on some news items. A healthy amount of skepticism can keep you from being taken for a ride when a story makes a turn that you don't see coming. Official sources can lie. And so one must have scruples. But do we have to post about our theories about it online? <laughs> if we don't have all the information and we're relying on our best guesses, it's probably better just to say nothing. The book of Proverbs puts it like this. Too much talk leads to sin. Be sensible and keep your mouth shut. The words of the godly are sterling silver, and the heart of a fool is worthless. The words of the godly encourage many, but fools are destroyed by their lack of common sense. We don't have to post about everything, especially things that we don't have any proximity knowledge, anything that we're not close to. We need to save our precious words to encourage many instead of leading others down a path of paranoia and despair. Why? Because paranoia and despair spreads like a cancer, like in the case of Hymenaeus and Philetus. In the online world, we call this going viral. That's not the type of stuff that we want to be famous for. We want to be famous for speaking the truth, first and foremost. And coincidentally, coincidentally that's what Paul upholds in the next part of this passage. Starting in verse 19, he says, But God's truth stands firm like a foundation stone with this inscription, The Lord knows those who are his, and all who belong to the Lord must turn away from evil. 
there's one thing that you can take to the bank, it's God's word is the standard by which we judge all other forms of communication. And the Bible is the bedrock on which our speech and behavior is founded. The third thing that I want to pull out of this passage is that God's word is truth. God's word is truth. If what we're writing online is shown through the lens of God's truth, then we're much more likely to avoid the trouble and evil that is potential on social media platforms. The Lord, who is our true friend, not just our social media friend, our true friend, will be much more likely to like our posts if they're rooted in his words rather than foolish, worthless things. Uh, That's something that God can use for his glory because what we say determines our usefulness. In the next part of this passage, Paul uses this analogy about cutlery to show how being careful about our behavior can change the prestige of our witness. He says in verse 20, In a wealthy home, some utensils are made of gold and silver, and some are made of wood and clay. The expensive utensils are used for special occasions, and the cheap ones for everyday use. If you keep yourself pure, you will be a special utensil for honorable use. Your life will be clean, and you will be ready for the master to use for every good work. This highlights the fourth thing I want to point out. Our desire on social media should be to be a special utensil for God. This is symbolic of what I was trying to do when I was looking for something distasteful on my Twitter page. I wanted to scrub my page of anything that would make Rich look bad. And in this case, Jesus. Because I want to be an honorable utensil. If Jesus is using me like a fork to serve his message up to the world... I don't want my prongs or my tines to be broken and janky because of something foolish that I wrote online. It's a common theme that you see throughout the New Testament, that if you claim faith in Jesus, guys, you've got to tame your tongue. Jesus says that what you say flows from what's in your heart. James said that if you can't control your tongue, then your religion is worthless. So if we want to be the kind of people that the Lord uses, we have to be careful, first, keeping ourselves pure, and second, reflecting that purity in our online life. Amen? Have you ever seen the acronym IRL? So IRL is kind of um, internet speak, but uh, it stands for in real life. In real life. So, you know, maybe I'm a part of a uh, group that likes uh, animals, But in real life, IRL, I am a firefighter. Um, It's a way of sharing with others what your life is like in your daily routine or family and work because when you're on the web, that's your virtual life. It's not the same as your real life. So you can just act like a fool. It doesn't count. The truth is our social media activity is real life. It's really happening. It matters. It's all real. And this truly does affect our witness. Uh, There's uh, Ed Stetzer is the executive director of the Billy Graham Center and the dean of School of Mission and Ministry and Leadership at Wheaton College. And he's also the interim teaching pastor at the Moody Church in Chicago in uh, Old Town. Last year, he wrote this great book. Um, It's a really important book. It's entitled Christians in the Age of Outrage, uh, where he painstakingly details how believers in Jesus have been acting a fool. 
they've been acting a fool on social media and how it contrasts with what the Bible says about how we should behave. You can see the picture on the front. It's this sheep, and then the Polaroid shows what's, what's on the inside. It's the wolf's teeth. Um, he says this, the outrage of the culture overwhelms the truth of the moment. And when it does, it hurts our witness. He goes on to say that when outraged Christians look foolish, that hurts the gospel. It adds to the perception that Christians are rage-addicted snowflakes and, more important, distracts Christians from their mission. So apart from loving God and loving people, what, what is our mission? Our mission is simply this. This is what Jesus says in Matthew 28. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded of you. Again, a good question to ask. Is it possible my social media activity would make it harder for someone to come to Christ? Of course, what we post obviously is a reflection of what's going on on the inside. Our thought life matters as much to Jesus as our actions. If it didn't, in the Sermon on the Mount, he wouldn't have said that, he wouldn't have equated being angry with murdering someone. And he wouldn't have equated being lustful with adultery. Being of pure mind and heart is just as important as being pure in our bodies. And so this begs the question, how do we make ourselves pure? Paul answers this in the next part of the passage when he tells us to run. He says this in verse 22. Run from anything that stimulates youthful lusts. Instead, pursue righteous living, faithfulness, love, and peace. Enjoy the companionship of those who call on the Lord with pure hearts. This is the fifth thing that I want to pull out of this passage as it relates to our social media activity, and that's that we should run away from bad influences and run towards good. Run from the bad, run towards good. Anytime a spiritual authority like Paul says to sprint away from something, it's probably a good idea to follow that advice. This is timeless wisdom from the Bible. The Bible says, depart from evil. Um, resist the devil, right? Run towards the eternal rather than the temporal. 1 John 2 says this, Do not love this world nor the things it offers you. For when you love the world, you do not have the love of the Father in you. For the world only offers only a craving for physical pleasure, a craving for everything we see, and pride in our achievements and possessions. These are not from the Father, but are from this world. Today we've been asking the question today, if, if Jesus would follow us. But we need to ask ourselves something else. Is there anything that we ourselves should unfollow? Whatever those things are that you might struggle with personally, it's wise advice to run, run away from it. For some people, it may be a celebrity crush that consumes your thought life. Uh, for some people, it may be movies or TV shows that are obscene or raunchy. For some people, it may be divisive political voices that feed into your paranoia and cause you to be fearful. Whatever you struggle with, Paul's advice is to run away from it and run towards good, righteous living, faithfulness, love, peace. Instead of pursuing unhealthy friendships that take you away from God's holy standards, we should pursue godly companionship with folks who fear the Lord and live wisely. 
Jesus tells us in Matthew 5 that God blesses those who work for peace, that they will be called children of the God. We need to be peacemakers, and we need to follow fellow peacemakers in the online world where outrage and divisiveness seem to rule the day. Paul says this in verse 23. Don't get involved in foolish, ignorant arguments that only start fights. A servant of the Lord must not quarrel, must be kind to everyone, must be able to teach, and be patient with difficult people. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Snapchat, it should be a better place when committed followers of Jesus are on it. There should be less fighting in our circles, more kindness, more mercy, more grace when we encounter petty arguments and ignorance. So how do we walk this out? We know from Paul's letter to Timothy that only God's opinion of us really matters, that we should be wise, that we should be honest, that God's word is our standard, that we're to depart from evil and pursue peace. But what if someone confronts us directly? How do we respond when online trolls want to goad us into an argument? If a contentious argument arises, how can we be led by the Spirit if we're to wade into a bubbling controversy? What's the best way to go about it and still love God and love people? I'm going to close today with some pro tips. Some pro tips derived from the life of Jesus to consider whenever we're drawn into the outrage of the culture. So these are some Jesus pro tips. So in John 8, Jesus was at the temple and he was teaching in front of a crowd. And some religious leaders brought a woman who had been caught in adultery And the religious leaders wanted to trap Jesus into saying something that they could use against him later. And according to the law, this woman was supposed to be stoned. The first pro tip that we can learn from Jesus in this encounter is that he writes in the dust. He writes in the dust. In verse 6 it says, Jesus stooped down and wrote in the dust with his finger. Kind of weird. Biblical scholars debate about what Jesus wrote in the fingers in the dust. Some people say he was writing down the Ten Commandments. You know, other people say that he was writing down the names of the Pharisees. In any case, he doesn't answer their questions right away. He takes a moment to write in the dust with his finger. I believe this is a great example of how Christians should respond in a world where reckless, thoughtless speech is the norm. James commands his readers in his book to be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. If we would take the time to listen to the Holy Spirit and think about situations through a Christ-centered lens and draft our responses before we post too quickly, we're less likely to write something that makes us and Jesus look foolish. We don't need to respond so fast that we fall into the traps that our enemy set for us. Writing in the dust can mean using a note-taking app on your phone um, or using a word processing program on your computer that will help you organize your thoughts and it'll also help your grammar and punctuation. You know, you don't want to be misunderstood too quickly. Talking to my mom before the service today, I was just thinking about the uh, Luddite world that she lives in where she's not using technology, but... 
my mom is one of the best writers of cards. Um, if, you've get, if you've gotten a card from my mom, she really takes the time to write something out that's meaningful. And imagine if we put that kind of thought into about what we wrote online. It's almost better like the old days of like typewriters, you know, and like where you were drafting a letter. It was like, man, there's only so much paper or there's only so much ink. So you, don't, you didn't want to waste it. So you were very careful about what you wrote. What if we applied that same carefulness to what we wrote online? I think that would save us a lot of hassles, amen? Um, Jesus' answer to the Pharisees' question was both wise and winsome. After writing in the dust with his finger, he famously say, says this to the Pharisees, all right, um, we can stone her, but let he who is without sin cast the first stone. Then he stooped down again, and he wrote in the dust. Uh, Jesus did not play into the religious leader's hands, but he gave this carefully crafted answer that they weren't expecting. Um, and each one of these women's accusers, they slipped away from the oldest to the youngest, each one dropping their stone. The second pro tip that I think we can take from this encounter with Jesus is to drop our stones. Much of the online culture is about owning people, embarrassing folks by proving them wrong in some way. At the end of this encounter, only Jesus, who is without sin, had the power to stone her. But he, instead, he chooses mercy and forgiveness, and he tells her that she isn't condemned. In a culture that seeks to crush others into submission, we can be countercultural, peacemaking people who extend mercy and grace to folks who may seem undeserving, but who are made in God's image and worthy of redemption. At the end of this section we're reading, Paul calls Timothy to gently instruct those who oppose the truth because it gives us the best chance of steering folks towards the right way instead of pushing them further down the wrong way. The last pro tip that I think we can take from the life of Jesus in general is to just take breaks. Take breaks. We often see Jesus taking intentional breaks from the crowds that follow him. He would go to pray alone, or he would go away to rest, or he would just spend time with his disciples and talk. The Gospels say that he would go to a remote area, or he would go to an isolated place, just to take a breather from it all. There's a biblical model for rest and margin in the life of a believer, and it's okay to take a step away for the sake of your sanity sometimes. At the South Suburban Vineyard, we have the perfect opportunity for you to take an extended break from social media. In September, we're starting a fast where we as a church will be stepping away from things that distract us from the Lord so that we can concentrate on spiritual disciplines like prayer. This is a great time to create new patterns of devotion in your life and unplug from the crowds. Unplug from the crowds on social media. I want to invite the worship team to come up. Before we close, let's return to the questions I asked at the beginning of this talk and pause to think about our answers in light of today's message. Is it possible my social media activity would make it harder for someone to come to Christ? 
Does my Facebook wall look like an invitation or does it look like a barrier? Does the demeanor of my life describe a moral, political view over and above a wonderful, grace-filled invitation to life in Christ? Am I reflecting what Jesus called the church to be, salt and light? Does my kingdom citizenship mean more to me in my writings than anything else? Would Jesus follow you? Would Jesus follow you? God is calling us to live our virtual lives in a holy and acceptable way, in the same way that we live our physical lives. He's calling us to behave in a way that shows our love for him and our love for others. So let's pray to the Lord to help us as we walk this out this week. Let me pray. Holy Spirit, we invite you to come. Father, I thank you there is no condemnation for those who know you, Lord. And so we do repent, Father, of of awful things that we've written, Father, awful things that we've said, Lord. And we ask that you help us, Father. Um, it's, It's really hard to do these things without your Holy Spirit. It's hard to be loving. It's hard to be patient and kind and use self-control unless we have your spirit within us, Father. So we ask you for more of that, Father. We ask that your spirit would be on our fingers as we type out what we say on social media, Father. I pray, Father, that each one of us would be peacemakers in our little corner of our social networks, Father. And in our personal lives, Father, I pray, Lord, that we would be spreaders of peace, Father, spreaders of your spirit, spreaders of your gospel, committed, fully converted believers in you, Father, who represent you to the world. Would you help us today, Father? We ask all this in Jesus' name.